0: Well, no one knows really uh, where the term originated, a line in the sand. And the term actually has different meanings. It can mean to lay down a challenge. And I saw this played out on a playground at Clark Memorial Elementary School in Winchester, Tennessee, back in the 70s. Okay, there wasn't really any sand there. But I do remember two of my classmates while we were outside at recess getting into it about something, what it was, I have no idea. (coughs) But I just remember one of them reaching for a rock. And, you know, if you've ever taken a rock and you you can use it to draw on concrete. And so he took that rock and he He reached down and he used it like you would a piece of chalk and he drew that line there on that concrete sidewalk. And he said, I dare you to step across that line. And then what did the guy do? Well, the guy, much bigger than he was, stepped across the line. And then he reached down, he took a step back and reached down and drew another line. He said, I dare you to step across that line. And without hesitation, the other kid stepped across that line. And I just thought, well, okay, this is not going to end well for the kid who's drawing the line. Uh, You know, uh, he's, he's laying down the challenge and the challenge is being met. And so the challenge for us this morning is to read this ancient piece of mail and for it to make sense to us. Now, the other application of the term line in the sand, it can indicate the level at which something becomes unacceptable. In other words, while they've crossed a line that is just unacceptable. We can forgive lots of things, but no, there are some things in life that are just absolute. This is truth, and you don't mess with this. And that's what we're actually talking about this morning. I remember some years ago, had a standing lunch appointment with the youth minister at our church. It was years before I went into full-time ministry myself. But the, the youth minister of our congregation was was my best friend at the time, and so we would meet at a local restaurant every Tuesday morning at eleven thirty for lunch. And he was telling me about a guy in our congregation, a coach, named Bart. And he said, you know, Bart was talking to me and he said uh, he's going to be speaking at FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he was kind of wondering maybe, you know, how to handle that. Because he knows he's going to have Christians from different churches there. And then so Steve and I engaged in this conversation about, well, there are certain things that are just absolute about the Christian faith and that certainly is Jesus we can all agree I would hope that we are nothing without Jesus we are nothing without Jesus coming in the flesh we're nothing without his sacrificial death on the cross that we have uh, memorialized this morning already we are nothing, as we just celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter, we're nothing without the resurrection. That there are certain absolutes that are just not negotiable. I would say that anybody who reads the book of Acts, and by the way, uh, over in the side auditorium behind the curtain, we, we started a, a, uh, a new class this morning led by Ron Riley in the book of Acts and uh, if you're not currently teaching a Sunday school class then invite you to come and be a part of that if you don't have a class already because I'm looking forward to this study of that book. But you read the book of Acts and these apostles that walked in lockstep with Jesus for about three years every time someone came to Christ What did they do? They were baptized over and over and over again in the book of Acts. There's baptism. So I would say that based on my reading of New Testament Scripture, that baptism is one of those things that is an absolute. And so as we dig into this morning, this latter half of 2 John, We're going to be looking at something that John says, no, this is an absolute. This is a line in the sand that you just don't cross. And so let's pick up in 2 John with verse uh, verse 7. He says, I say this, Because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Okay, we got to stop right there. Okay, John's a little heated, isn't he? He's not messing around. He's talking about these people that have, he's just went through talking about the truth and walking in love, walking in the truth like we talked about last week. And then now, verse 7 gets here, and he says, the reason I'm saying all this about the truth is because there are some who are not walking in the truth. And he says, I say this because... Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. In other words, one reason I asked Rick to sing the song in Christ Alone, because it mentions Christ coming to this world, taking on flesh, the fullness of God in helpless babe. The incarnation God in the flesh that there were some at the time that John was writing this there were some that were teaching well okay Jesus never actually walked on the earth he never really was here in the flesh if you take away Jesus in the flesh you take away all the other things we've already mentioned this morning you take away the sacrifice on the cross the unblemished perfect lamb you take away conquering death the resurrection (coughs) excuse me spring allergies are real Uh, but if you take away all that stuff John says then you've taken away the gospel you're not teaching the truth when you do that and so he wants the recipients of his letter to understand anybody that's, that's talking about Jesus but not talking about the real Jesus, Jesus in the flesh, the Jesus that he knew, the Jesus that he sat next to in the upper room as they gathered around that table and had supper together. He's saying, if you're saying he was never here, then that person is a deceiver. That person's a liar. That that person is the antichrist." Verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for. But that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. Because they would show hospitality to the guest preachers that would come into town verse 11, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Wow! John is drawing a line in the sand there, isn't he, church? He's saying, hey, if you continue to enable these folks by hosting them, you know, you want to prevent them from deceiving people you want to prevent people from spreading these lies that Jesus was never actually an incarnate God that he was never in the flesh if you want to shut these people up don't give them a place to stay you know let them just keep going around knocking on doors and saying oh you can't stay here because you're a deceiver you don't speak the truth He's saying pretty soon they'll go on their way. Pretty soon they will be completely deterred. But until then, if you enable them, if you host them, if you are hospitable to these people knowing that they're not teaching the truth, then you are merely enabling them them and you are joining them in their, as he puts it, their wicked work. Now, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., there is the Vietnam Memorial there, and it's not far from the Lincoln Memorial, and uh, it, it's, really, it's, it's really a somber sight, that and the, and the Korean War Memorial, uh, which is one of the most haunting uh, memorials I think I've ever seen in Washington. But uh, but Vietnam, when you approach the wall, uh, if you didn't know anything about it, you would just think of it as a wall with names. If you had no context, if you did not know that that there was uh, this period of American history in the '60s, that the United States was engaged in a Cold War that the threat of communism was real at the time, and it was spreading to different parts of the world. If you had no context about all that, then maybe all you would see in visiting the Vietnam Memorial was names on slabs of granite. But if you've studied the war, if you've studied that period in history... If you knew some of what they were fighting for, then those names mean something to you. If you think about every one of those names as being someone's son or someone's daughter, if you think about... That the average age of a foot soldier in Vietnam was 19 years old as compared to World War II where the average age was 26. That these were some of America's America's youngest people that were laying down their lives for their country. And then when you come to understand that those names are listed in the chronological order as best as the Department of Defense knew of their sacrifice, their death. And then you realize why at one end of the wall it starts very small. And then you keep going down, down, down. And then pretty soon those granite sections are way above your head. I don't care how tall you are. When you get into 1967, 68, 69, 70, the heart of that conflict and then the number of names is just overwhelming. Some 58,000 plus men and women who gave their lives, and I know that's, that pales in comparison to some other conflicts, it's more meaningful to me because my father served there. Praise God, he didn't have to die there. And then as you make your way forward, then those names are less and less and less once again as that war drew to a close, or at least our involvement drew to a close. But if you understand the history behind it, then it means so much. Why? Because context is everything. If you read 2 John, and you're like, wow, the, you know, Brother John is, is kind of perturbed here. You know, he's using some strong language. He's saying deceiver, and the Greek word that means deceiver can also be translated liar. So we don't really go around saying, Oh, that person, they, they they deceived me. Okay, no, we say they lied to me. Okay? They boldface lied to me. And so we all know what it's like to be lied to. I would guess that at some point we all, or at least most of us, know what it's like to lie to someone else. Not something we want a reputation for doing on a regular basis, certainly. There's a difference between someone who has told a lie and someone who is a liar. And so, we find ourselves then looking at this. And John is saying, hey you all, there are people out there that are going around saying things that are just not true. Now, fast forwarding to the 21st century fast-forwarding to a time in which we're not hosting these traveling teachers and preachers in our homes, we wonder, how does this really apply to us today? Well, church, I know when we talk about truth, sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable. We like talking about love. We like talking about mercy of God, God's grace. We like talking about the doors of the church being open to all and that our our, our arms should be open to all. We like to talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus and, and using phrases like meeting people where they are because we saw that Jesus did the very thing, that very thing in the Gospels. He would meet people where they were. Whether it's a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, who has enough faith to say, if I can just touch his clothing, the hem of his garment as he passes by, I can be healed. Or whether it's that woman at the well in Samaria who comes in the heat of the day because she's avoiding people. That Jesus met people where they were. And when people had an encounter with Jesus, it was life changing. And we love to talk about all that, and I'm grateful that we do. But, church, who are we if we don't draw certain lines in the sand? Who are we if we don't hold on to certain absolute truths? Truths that are worth defending. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so for someone to think about salvation in any other way except through Jesus, I have to say that that is not true. And in the case of 2 John when there are people saying that, well, okay, you know, God is real, certainly. We can get behind intelligent design, but the idea of, of God descending to earth in the form of a baby born to a peasant family and then setting, you know, uh, setting a portion of the Roman Empire on its ear because of his amazing teaching, okay, that's just not logical that's where we have to say well okay I understand it may not be logical but it's still true because God is beyond our human logic amen church and so there are certain lines that we draw and we say no anything beyond this is unacceptable over in John chapter 1 In verse 14, there's this one verse, it's about five lines in my Bible, but oh, these words are powerful. John one fourteen, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and what, church? Truth. Yeah. And that's what Second John is really all about. It's about truth. It's about recognizing what truth really is. Because, as one commentary writer put it, if they stray from the truth, they will not love well. I'm going to say that again church family if they stray from the truth they will not love well and I can get behind that statement I can agree with that wholeheartedly that the reason that we hold fast to certain truths are that so that we can love well because that's really what it comes down to that we say yes it's because of it's because of Jesus it's because of his willingness to take our sins onto the cross with him and it's because of his ability to conquer death that we have hope of being reunited with all of those loved ones who have gone on before us fathers and mothers, husbands and wives children in some of your cases or grandchildren oh the hope what an amazing hope that is what blessed assurance it is of eternal salvation but it only is there if we hang on to certain truths And that Jesus Christ walked this earth, that showed people how to love and showed people how to live, is among those truths. It is fundamental to our faith, it is fundamental to the name Christian. And that is a line we do not cross, church. That is a line that we embrace that Jesus is the Son of God and that He did take on flesh. He did take on the shame of our sins. And He did conquer death. Praise God for those truths. And those truths are always worth defending. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet accepted that truth or not yet surrendered to that truth then the waters of baptism are available this morning and if you're with us this morning and you are in a place in life where you just really need the prayers of other believers we offer an invitation for you to come and let us pray with you but the invitation is offered so that you once and for all can surrender to Christ, proclaim Him as Lord of your life, and be immersed in the waters of baptism. Let's stand and sing together.